0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, open with me to the Gospel of Saint Luke, chapter eighteen, the eighteenth chapter of Saint Luke. And uh, we're going to. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to start reading from verse eighteen. Okay, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, beautiful and glorious day that you've given to us. Thank you for the Lord's Day, a day, Lord, when we have the great privilege of, of setting other things aside, coming to worship, and gathering together in the name of Jesus Christ. And we know, Lord, that we're not alone. We know that there are millions of those who love you around the world who are gathering to do the same thing. And we pray, Lord, that they would lift up holy sacrifices of praise to you today. We ask that our songs and our prayers, uh, the thoughts and meditations of our heart, would be a holy offering to you today as well. Lord, we ask you now to bind the evil one and to not allow him to mess with the word That is to be preached. We pray, Lord, that it would accomplish that to which you send it. And that you, Father, you, Son, you, Holy Spirit, three in one, would be glorified today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. From the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 18, beginning at verse 18. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Amen. Amen. Lord, the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you have your uh, notebook with you, uh, but you might want to open there and uh, follow along. There are not a lot of notes, uh, but there are places for you to take them and to write down some passages of Scripture. Now, this passage that I just read to you uh, has some interesting problems in it. And there are problems for uh, anybody who wants to interpret Scripture and try to understand who Jesus is and what he wants from us uh, because Jesus sets us up with a problem. A a rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and, uh, you know, in other uh, Gospels it says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And this this is, I love that phrase because that's very seldom uh, expressed in the Gospels where it says about a particular individual that Jesus, looking at him, loved him. But Jesus loved this young man. And he comes uh, to Jesus and he begins by saying, good teacher. Now, you know, if Jesus hadn't made any comment on that, we all would have let it go. We all would have just assumed, of course, Jesus is a good teacher. He's not just good at teaching. He is good. And he's the one doing the teaching. You know, this is not, 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 not shocking to us. But Jesus, as he often does in conversations, uh, he brings up something confusing, something that, that makes you stretch. And he says, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. Now, this presents uh, some theological problems. What does Jesus mean? Is Jesus saying that he's not really God? Is Jesus saying, (coughs) you shouldn't attribute goodness to me because that only belongs to to God? Or as we would say, maybe God the Father. That's not my qualification. Is that, uh, in fact, what Jesus is declaring? And uh, I want to solve that problem for you fairly quickly. Jesus is not implying that he is not God. In fact, he is sort of begging the question. He's, he's, he's pulling it out. And we know from the rest of the Gospels that Jesus never denies that he and the Father are one. Um, he is the second person of the Trinity. So when the teacher calls him good teacher, it does apply to Jesus. Jesus is not denying it. Notice that. He just asked the question uh, to to bring it on stronger. Is he good? Now, let's just stop for a moment and ask uh, that question. Well, if none is good but God alone, is God good? Well, I I didn't expect an answer from you. That's what my sermon's about. Give me a chance to. Yes, you're right. Yes, you're right to say amen. If I ask that question, is God good? You say, what? Amen. Amen. Well, in what way is he good? Um, Because, you know, in case you haven't figured it out, there are some people in the world who have a problem with the so-called goodness of God. Uh, This is a world in which people die. This is a world in which people get sick. This is a world in which people you like and you love, and you think are worthy of healing, and blessing, and success, bad things happen to those people. So where is this so-called good God when that happens? If God is good, why do little babies get aborted, And, and why do they burn up in a fire, uh, why do they get born with fetal alcohol syndrome? Or why do they become crack babies? And if God is good, wouldn't there be the kind of justice in the world that innocent folks are protected and only really, really, really bad people get punished? So there are a lot of people in the world who struggle with this. And in fact, there's probably no philosophy class that you could take in any university where this subject doesn't come up. If God is all-powerful, and God is all-good, and all-loving, then how could he allow there to be suffering? Because either he's not all-powerful, and he can't stop it, or else he's not all-good. You see the problem? And by the way, just as a warning to you, and a heads up, for a lot of young people, intellectually, intellectually, they come up against this question and these arguments and it's like hitting a brick wall and they can't solve the problem. They don't have the faith to go past that problem and they lose what faith they have right at that moment. So I just want you to know, by the way, I'm not the first one to bring up these questions. All right, This has been going on for thousands of years and it's, and it's been a struggle. It's a struggle even in the Bible if you read the book of Job, even before the Lord Jesus comes, this is a struggle. For, for, uh, it's a struggle with God's people. Job struggles with it. Job, Job is asking the question, God, I've been living for you. I've been righteous. You killed my children. You know, and of all the things that happened to Job, uh, I think that gets passed over probably way too fast but all of his children are killed at one moment. Forget the money that he loses. He's a wealthy man. He loses everything he has. Even forget the sickness that plagues his body. Forget forget any other trouble. It is that, when I read the book of Job, as a father that takes my breath away. And I just go, wow. And the whole struggle of the book... Is this question, God, can you please come and meet with me? Could you come and tell me? And you know, and and during the book, he's got friends that show up, and the friends keep telling him, Look, if you were good, bad things wouldn't happen to you. That that's the way the world really works with a, a a just and good God. You live a good life, God blesses you. You do bad stuff, God punishes you. That's the way it works. And Job is saying. That's not what is happening. Thank God for the book of Job. Because it takes away all the easy answers. God is good. I just want to retestify to that. Even though there is suffering and struggle in the world. Now obviously for those of us who are Christians and study the Bible... We understand where sin came from. It didn't come from God. It came from us. And we know that sin brought death and judgment into the world. And God is just in his judgments. But boy, is it hard to sin under. them. And guess what? Judgment falls upon all of us. Because our first parents sinned, no matter how well you live your life, no matter how good you are in your life, physically, your body is still in decay, and it will die. That's part of the just judgment of God. Uh, I remember during the days when AIDS first came, uh, really blew up in the United States. And this was uh, the mid-80s, right? And uh, uh, people were, uh, were dying. And uh, it turned out, you know, people were trying to figure out, where does this disease come from? And then they were saying, oh, it seems to be associated with people who are living the gay lifestyle. And that was the huge preponderance of AIDS cases. And yes, there were people who were getting it from blood transfusions and and other kinds of exposures uh, from blood or uh, body fluids, but primarily it was happening happening through promiscuous sex. And uh, people started to ask that question, is this a judgment of God? And man, if you said yes, people got mad. I had a few men uh, that were associated with our church and they uh, contracted AIDS and they were both homosexual. They were not members of the church. They were connected to families in the church and they came to me basically, Pastor, can you help me prepare to die? Because in those days, there was no cure. If you got AIDS, that was a death sentence. You were going to die. And it was my pleasure, my privilege uh, to sit with those men uh, as they prepared to, uh, to die but to to die in faith but you know people ask me pastor is is AIDS a judgment from God my answer was yes but so is the common cold it's no different from that every every disease every failure in human life is part of the judgment of God is it a special judgment from God well, you could look at it that way if you want to, Mike. It's also a special wake-up call from God. It's a special kind of mercy. But yes, every kind of suffering, every bad thing that happens in the world is part of the justice of God. But I will tell you again, it is hard to endure it. You can, you know, if you don't you know talking about you can say amen to that. Now, the question is, well then, if I'm Job... If I'm the guy who's got AIDS or if I'm the guy who is suffering affliction of some way, is God good? So I want to look at a couple of texts that that kind of reveal a little bit of the righteousness and glory and goodness of God. And the first one we even sang about this morning, and that's found in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And it says this in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, Holy, For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. When we say that God is good, that's one of the scenes that, that ought to come to mind. This great moment when Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, and he sees the seraphim, these angelic beings with six wings, and and they live to always say just a very simple truth. And it is a truth that God willing should be burned in our hearts. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. If one thing that you ought to take away even from this little talk uh, today in our service is that this, that this is true of God. He is holy. Which means there's no sin in him. There's no fault in him. He never does anything wrong. God is not capricious. He is not like you and I who wake up in the morning and who say, if if I don't get my coffee, I cannot be blamed for what might come out of my mouth. Or what I might do. God never has a bad hair day. God is never cranky. God never suffers from not having enough sleep. God doesn't have a body like us. He's not affected by those things. He, he doesn't have a hormone surge. He, he doesn't... He doesn't have the emotions that you or I do. He is perfect in all his being. You know, one of the things we say about God is that uh, he is eternal. He's infinite, eternal, and this is the word I really love. Immutable. What does that word mean? Unchangeable. Unchangeable. He is immutable. He, he doesn't change. He's always consistent. So if he's always consistent and he's holy, 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 then what's he going to be tomorrow that he was yesterday? Holy. Oh, take it to the bank. Please put it in in the deposit of your heart for security for the future. That is your guarantee God cannot lie. It is your guarantee God will not change his mind once he's given a promise. If he says that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, his holiness is his surety that you and I will be saved. Hallelujah. If he says that if you confess your sins, he is able and just to forgive us our sins, his holiness is the surety that he cannot lie you will be forgiven. If he says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, his holiness is the guarantee of that. Praise the Lord. You know, there ought to, there ought to be a little more uh, shouting and happiness here uh, from these theological truths. That's, that's all I'm saying. Um, let's look at a, at a few more scriptures about this. Psalm, in, in the book of Psalms, where it talks about the character of God, Psalm 119. This is that very long psalm, the longest psalm in the Bible, in the book of Psalms. Psalm 119, verse 68. And David says this about God. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Just a, just a very simple concept. But since God is good, that means all the things He does are good. That's the logic that flows. You are good, and you do good. Uh, we sing a song sometime at our church. Well, we sing several songs that have a phrase that repeats that God is good. One is uh, uh, just the song, God is good. We sing it in different languages. You know, We'll say... Uh, you know, in Swahili, God is good. And that, for many people, is a statement of faith. Do you understand what I mean by that? When trouble is in your life, when bad things are happening to you, it's a statement of faith to keep believing my God is good. Then there's another song we sing. My wife likes to, to lead it, and it's really cool. It's called... God, my God, is good. And it has a whole bunch of phrases. I might teach it to you this week, but it says, you know, he saved my soul. He brought me out of darkness. Uh, He put shoes on my feet. He put food on my table. He made a way out of no way. God, my God, is good. That's a statement of faith. I want you to know that that song has special meaning because it comes out of the African-American experience. And when you are around African-Americans and you get in touch with their history, the history of slavery and enslavement and bondage, uh, the history of Jim Crow and segregation, the history of lynching, one constant through all of that horrible history is the black church. And all parallel in that history are these African-American Christians who in the midst of walking outside the church to experience racism and injustice are singing, God, my God, is good. It's a statement of faith. You need to have it. Every time something screws up in your life and a surprise hits you and it feels like the bottom just dropped off, You lose a relationship. You're in love with somebody and they don't want to answer your calls. (laughs) Boom. Your father or mother loses their job and the security, the financial security you used to have is gone. God, my God, is good. It says in Psalm 107, verse 1. Very simple truth, oh give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 34 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now I just want to say this, I don't have much time left uh, this morning, but uh, through this week we're going to be talking about this struggle to uh, apprehend and appreciate the goodness of God and to figure out what being good means. Now, by the way, Christians and the Jews were not the only people in the world who were thinking about what it meant to be good. Um, There were a couple of uh, folks over in Greece. uh, They were called philosophers. And in the great age of philosophy, you had Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And this is about the 300 BC. So this is in between the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament historically. And so in Greece, uh, Socrates is training Plato, and Plato then trains Aristotle, and they begin to think about uh, life. And philosophy is the love of wisdom. That's what the word means. And they were trying in, in the power of humanity, I mean, Probably the best the world has ever seen. There are some in other cultures. But these three guys, they lay the foundation for all of Western civilization in in the way we think and and, uh, how we study life. And they wouldn't settle for easy answers. And so if somebody said justice, immediately the question is, what is that? What is justice? And they said, uh, virtue. Well, what is that? What is virtue? And so Aristotle, he sets up, you know, these virtues of temperance and prudence and and courage and justice. Those are the four major virtues of the Greek philosophers. And that way of thinking that a human being ought to achieve those virtues would make them good. And the way Aristotle thought that that goodness could be achieved was basically... Through a couple, a combination of a couple of things. One was uh, not being extreme at either end about those particular things. So, courage—the uh, extreme of not having courage would be to be a coward. But the extreme on the other side of courage would be to reckless. Be reckless. And so, the the, the mean, the the. the intermediate form of it that's where the virtue is and you're going to be courage, courageous you, you can deal with your fear and, and you're not reckless but you but you respond in the right way at the right moment and that, he said if a man or a woman could just pursue that you would have that virtue but you'll notice something about those virtues they're different than the christian virtues and later on, the medieval church said, you know, they, those were great ideas, but they, they missed uh, faith, hope, love, and humility. And so pagan virtues are not the same as the Christian virtues. They're good. I mean, if you had temperance and prudence, I mean, the Bible talks about this stuff. If, 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 if you have courage... Those are great things to have. Nobody's nobody's faulting you, but they're not enough. They're not enough. And so this week we want to talk about how Jesus can give you more than that. You know, one of the ways that Aristotle thought that you could be a good person was through discipline. The way you get those virtues is you discipline yourself. And, you know, some of this seeps over into Christianity, bad Christianity. Uh, and, and one of the things I, I want you to understand, I hope that you understand it this week. Uh, I, I believe in discipline. I was in the Army. I really enjoyed the discipline the Army gave me. Uh, I'm a father. I enjoyed the discipline I gave my children. <laughs> they, they might have said excessively, but I... Uh, I enjoy trying to get them to live a controlled life. Uh, If you're an athlete, you need discipline. If you're in the military, you need discipline. If you're trying to learn something intellectually, you need discipline. Discipline's great! One of the great, I think, embarrassments to our society is that people have assumed that if you discipline yourself enough and you become a professional, you can control yourself. What do you think of that idea? Discipline's not enough. In fact, the Pharisees found that out too. They they thought the law, the Ten Commandments, and legalistic righteousness would make you good. Guess what? That didn't do it either. You can't become a good person simply by following the rules. Now, we have a camp last night they were saying we don't have many rules here, right? I guarantee you before the week is out even those few rules will be broken. Cuz we just thought it's hard for us to keep rules. Rules don't get us to heaven. Discipline doesn't make us good. Okay, i got to end this sermon. So let me just end it with the gospel. And I want to try to do this all through the week. The only thing that's going to make you good is the blood of Jesus Christ and the righteousness of Jesus given to you. And the only thing that's going to enable you and I to live a good life is the grace of God empowering us every day. Now, again, we're going to talk about discipline. We're going to talk about maybe pursuing some of the virtues. We're going to talk about uh, the place of rules in our life. Uh, They're good for uh, good order and, and helping institutions run. But please don't follow counterfeits to make you good. God is good. And the only way you and I get to be good is when he gives his goodness to us through faith by grace let's pray father god i pray that you would give to us a hunger in our heart this week for your goodness lord some of us here at this camp we struggle with our badness lord some of us have already fallen into bad habits And we have found out, Lord, that sometimes our old nature and our flesh and the lusts of our life seem to have all the power, and we have none. Lord, some of us feel pretty guilty about how we've messed up already in our life. We're asking you, Jesus, to help us learn about grace and to let it be, oh Lord, let it be the sweetest drink we've ever had. That you love us in spite of our failings. That you love us and have washed us clean in your blood. That you love us and you're going to give us power we don't have in ourselves to be the kind of people you want us to be in this broken and fallen world. Help us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.